Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about suffering and having an expectation gap. I'm honored to welcome special guest Jim Barnard. Jim is a pastor, the founder of Tiller Coaching, and the author of The Suffering Guy. You can reach Jim at his website, thesufferingguy.com, and I'll include a link in the show notes. Welcome, Jim. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. Linda, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Really appreciate you having me. I am really looking forward to this conversation because it is real and it is deep and it is going to be touching things that a lot of times we don't talk about. We Mm. keep this kind of hidden, I guess. And I think in order for people to really understand your message, first they need to hear your story and your experiences and your journey with your lovely wife. So would you like to start there? Yeah, that's a great place to start. Um, you referenced the book. It's called The Suffering Guy, and that's it's the title I never wanted. I never wanted to be a suffering guy. Of course, none of us want to. All of us spend our, our days and our, and our effort trying to avoid suffering, and um, it's just happened. You know, it's, it, it's, it's part of life. Not, not 100% of us are suffering currently, but 100% of us will suffer at some point. And so my story of suffering starts when I met my wife, Alicia. We have been married for 15 years. And oh my gosh, Alicia is the best girl in the world. She's awesome. I love her so much. We dated for a year and a half. And I just quickly fell in love with her, like her love for God and how smart and strong-willed she is. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Like, what a gift to find this amazing girl. And we had this really short engagement, 10 weeks long. There were some venue issues and stuff. But really, I like to tell people that I I believe that God had a plan. He understood what was happening. And so three months into our marriage, Alicia got really sick. And at first, it just seemed like maybe she just had the stomach flu or something. She was just vomiting a ton. And I was like, okay, you know, you're going to be fine. Give it a few days, maybe a week. And after 10 days, maybe two weeks, it, it really started to like set in that this wasn't going away. This wasn't a bug. This was something really serious. And so we started to panic. We went to the emergency room. We went to a bunch of different doctors. We met this one GI doctor who was just really kind and so grateful for him. He was, he was just uh, really willing to listen to us. And, and he said, man, I, I feel like there is a major problem here that like we have to do some intense testing to try to figure out exactly what's going on. And I'm afraid that maybe we don't have all the best tests here. So why don't we send you up to the Mayo Clinic? You know, they've got all the world-class stuff and amazing doctors. And so Linda, it felt like the, the honeymoon came to a screeching halt, you know, like months four, five, and six, Alicia was up at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, which just feels cruel. I don't know why they send sick people to Minnesota in the middle of winter, you know, but uh, that's what we found ourselves in. And I, I couldn't even be with her most of the time because we had just, I had spent all my vacation time on, you know, the wedding and the honeymoon and, you know, there just was not much time left. So I, uh, I, we, we went up there together for the first initial meeting and this doctor you know, kind of got some of the history out of the way. Like, tell me about your family. Tell me about your your history, you know. And um, and then she got the schedule of all these terrible tests that she was going to have to take. Just awful things 
things that were like called anal rectal manometry and um, biofeedback and sweat tests and just hard, emotionally draining, embarrassing, challenging tests. And Alicia fought through it for these three months. And, you know, she met a doctor there that was like, oh, I, I totally know what's going on with you. It's a disease called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. If you've ever seen a contortionist, someone that can bend their joints in any direction, they've got that same disease, but it's located in their joints. We jokingly refer to that as the cool version because you've got some cool like uh, party tricks. It's still very painful, but Alicia's version is located in her abdomen primarily. And so all of her uh, GI tract has no muscle tone to push food through. So what was happening was she would eat something, it would get clogged, and then anything else she would eat, there would just be no room in the end, and she'd just be vomiting for hours a day. Eventually, a, a lot of her core organs had prolapsed or fallen out of place. Like the, the, This disease can be really serious. And so we're, we're going through this process, and um, eventually, at the end of the three months, She's got her final appointment with the uh, managing doctor, that, that doctor that we met with uh, at, you know, right off the bat. And each appointment was 15 minutes long, like kind of firm 15 minutes, because the Mayo Clinic is a machine. There's thousands of people that they see every day. So they can't just be like, all right, well, let's hang out for however long. It's like got to be really efficient. So I came back up for that last appointment. And the doctor walks in and says, all right, Alicia, here's the thing. I think that you're a ruminator. And I, I'm like, I don't know, what is that? I don't, I don't know what that means. I've never heard of that before. And I'm not very smart. Alicia's the smart one of the family. So she got it way quicker than I did. And so she starts kind of coming after this guy and saying, like, I'm sorry. Do you think I'm crazy? Like, do you think I'm nuts? He's like, no, not crazy. I just think that you've got some things in your past that you haven't quite dealt with and it's causing you to have some physical issues. And she's like, well, what? And uh, the doctor said, well, you alluded to, you know, abuse in your home when you were a kid. And, you know, I, I can't deny that. Like that's, you know, her, her dad was not awesome to Alicia's mom. And, you know, sometimes that could affect her, but it was basically a, a thing between the two of them. And um, Linda, I, I just sat there in my hands like not knowing how to fight for my wife. I couldn't advocate for her. I'm just like, what, what are we talking about here? Alicia was great. She fought for herself and she's like, well, what about the anal rectal manometry? Um, And he's like looking at the file, looking at the charts for seemingly the first time. And he's like, Oh, that is interesting. Hmm. Wow. You know, what about biofeedback? What about this and that? What about this Ehlers-Danlos thing? And he's just, very dismissive of all of it. He's like, Hey, I'm so sorry. The 15 minutes are up now. I've got to move on to another patient. If you'd like a referral to a counselor from my office, please let us know. We'd love to help you, but, um, thanks. <laughs> Bye. And Alicia's like, no, 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 you're not leaving. And like pretty much like corners him and is like, I'm not willing to accept this. I've done counseling. And once again, I, I'm like not fighting for her. I, I, I want to be, verbalizing like, Hey, mister, like she's the most emotionally and spiritually healthy person I've ever met. Like she's not a crazy person. Like, but I, I just 
I, I have no words. I'm just dumbfounded. And really, this doctor just had nothing else to, to give her, and we were done. So we lived in St. Louis at the time, and so we drove back down to St. Louis and left Minnesota really dejected and frustrated. And uh, that kind doctor that had referenced us to go up to the Mayo Clinic, we had the follow-up appointment with him because he was you know, dying to know what happened. Like, what's the results? What's the outcome here? And so we brought, you know, the whole chart, all the files with us and sat down in this little room with him. And I was having probably some PTSD because it felt very much like, you know, our experience with this other doctor. Of course. You know, he's taking his time and looking through these charts and test results and all the stuff. And uh, Linda, I... I (laughs) I felt like I was going to vomit. Like Alicia's the, the one that vomits all the time, but I was so tense. I was so nervous. Like mm. I was really convinced that this guy was going to be like, well, yeah, Mayo Clinic thinks you're a ruminator. So that's, that's gotta be the answer. But he, he finally looked up and, and broke the tension and, and looked Alicia right in the eyes and said, honey, it's in your gut. It's not in your head. And I'm so sorry that this happened, that that you had such a poor experience with this doctor. But um, it's very clear to me, and I'm I'm very thankful that we we did this because now we can we can have some steps to try to help you. And uh, within a few months, Alicia had her colon removed, and like all but two inches, because he had theorized through all these tests and studies that the majority of the disease was was in her colon. And when they biopsied her colon, it was, the doctor came in and was like, just like almost white as a ghost. He's like, I, we've never seen anything like this. Your colon was PVC pipe hard, but paper thin. And we think it would have like, would have torn mm, within days, weeks. Like it, it was so fragile. So if we didn't do this now, like you might've like gone septic, you, you probably would have died, you know? And, you know, we're just so thankful. And for the next several months, Alicia actually got better. She was able to begin to eat again. And like, I was starting to get my wife back and it felt so good. It was amazing. Unfortunately, Linda, this disease just has a degenerative factor to it. And it's continued to spread throughout the GI tract. And um, She's just continued to go downhill over the last 15 years. It's been incredibly hard. It's been the most challenging thing I've ever had to endure. And I hate it. Like I hate it so much, but we really feel like God has been present in it and he's done really the absurd in the midst of it. And we're so thankful. Like you referenced my, my ministry, Tiller Coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, This entire story that I have that I detail in, in, in the book, The Suffering Guy, it is a giant expectation gap. It is, you know, my reality is so far away from what I hoped and expected right. in life and in marriage. And that gap, that expectation gap is a place of disappointment and dissatisfaction and distress. And I, I know those things all too well. Like it, this has been <laughs> really hard and painful. But now I get to turn around and help people in their own expectation gaps. And I was very reluctant for the call to ministry to, to, um, to help people. Um, but I finally relented and, and uh, chose to follow God into what he was sending me into. And it was, uh, I'm actually really grateful. I think 
Um, I would give anything to have Alicia healthy again. I mean, there's been tragic moments. There were these two moments where she essentially died on me. Like she was lifeless in my arms and so scary. Like these moments have been awful, but I don't know if like God would come to me at this point. If, uh, if he would offer me a deal, Hey, Jim, uh, I can heal Alicia, but the ministry all goes away. You being able to help people through the expectation gaps goes away. Like what do you choose? Obviously God's not going to come and make that offer. But if he did, I don't know what I would choose. I want my wife healthy so badly. And you know, I also recognize what has been so good and being able to serve people and finding a purpose in this pain. It's been really amazing. And I think Alicia would probably feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Like there Absolutely. is something beautiful that is growing from this pain and this heartache. So let's kind of go back and talk about this situation that you never asked for, never wanted. And yet here it is. And so when you get married and you hear words like, you know, for better or worse, you know, in sickness and in health, and you think, well, yeah, but you don't ever expect the poverty and the sickness or any of those kinds of things. And you had such a short amount of time before the problem started to come. And I'm, I'm very sorry for that. But I am proud of you for staying with her and for supporting her and for honoring those, those vows, those commitments that you made. It is challenging for anyone to be in the role of a caregiver uh, because it's so 24-7. But I think that it's sometimes even harder for a man than a woman in that it's not... Uh, it doesn't come as natural that, that, that tendency, the desire to just fix it is very strong. Is it not? Oh, it, it, it absolutely is. Um, I, there's, there's nothing I can do. I have no control in this scenario at all. I've felt hopeless and helpless. And, uh, there were large portions of my career before I jumped into ministry where I just put all of my effort and my mental energy into work. There were seasons where I was working 80, 90 hours a week because it was a place that I could control and I could have wins. I could experience victories. Um, I think there's there's studies that show that um, couples are up to seven times more likely to divorce if the wife is the one that gets sick compared to uh, the husband. We just don't know how to do this. And we, uh, as men, do want to fix. And it's it's been uh, just... (laughs) Just brutal. I, I, I wish I, I, you know, this is a podcast medium. Like, I, I don't have the words for this. It's right. been exceptionally hard. The expectation gap has been so real. And, um, you know, the, the thing about the expectation gap is it comes in all different, um, you know, sizes and forms. And, uh, it, it can cause us, if we're in an expectation gap that's too big for too long and we're too isolated, we are prone to making uncharacteristic decisions, you know, like I, it would have been very easy for me to get lost into, you know, drugs or alcohol or pornography or any of these, any of these things that would fill that space. You know, I, um, I just believe that, uh, men, especially it's why it was important for me to write this book 
as the caregiver, as the husband, because I just feel like there's a lot more out there for the wives in this scenario, a lot more out there for the one that's going through the illness. So I, I wanted to write this from my perspective and to be able to tell people that, um, you know, the, even if the expectation gap is real, it doesn't mean that you can't have gratitude and you can't celebrate in the midst of it. And so that's what I want people to learn and to see an example of. I've certainly not done it perfectly. And I'm very, I, I, I poke at myself a lot in, in the book. I, I, I love that people um, give the review of like, man, it's so funny. You are very funny. I never thought I would laugh so much at a book about suffering. I'm very self-deprecating, but um, this whole thing has just been a journey of, of learning to not take myself so seriously, you know? That is wonderful that you're able to put it in a way that is, uh, that you can take it and swallow because suffering is hard and nobody enjoys it. And I've had many conversations with, with um, all kinds of different people. And there's been a common theme that for, for men who maybe don't know how to express emotions and are not comfortable feeling them and feeling feelings of powerlessness, just that, that hopeless feeling, I can't control this, is so overwhelming that like you mentioned, many people turn to uh, something to try to numb, numb the pain, yeah. numb the feelings, numb it. I can't fix it. I don't want to feel this. So let's numb it. So will you please help those who are listening to understand some healthier, more beneficial ways to respond to this suffering, to this expectation gap. So I'm in a spot and I, I don't feel good and I want to avoid it. What can I do? Yeah. I, I, I never wanted to be the suffering guy. It's something I have learned to embrace. Um, how do I put this, Linda? Um, I think suffering is actually a gift. I know that that's like such an absurd statement, but I, I, I just really do because, uh, you referenced in the previous question, the, the, um, our vows, um, for better, for worse, for rich or for poor, for health or for sickness. Those vows represent an expectation gap that, that could happen. I'm promising, I'm committing, I'm covenanting to be with you no matter what the expectation gap is. And how do we prove that we actually mean that? If Alicia and I only experience the good and the rich and the health, I never actually have an opportunity to prove to her that I meant what I said, that I was actually committed, um, that there's just no, no opportunity. This suffering is actually like the, the, the bad, the poor and the sickness are all opportunities to prove who we are, prove that we mean what we say, that we are fully committed. And I think it's uh, like a great representation of our relationship with God that um, if we, if we don't experience this kind of suffering, these expectation gaps, we just can never prove our commitment to him. And for some reason, Proving our commitment to him seems really important. So that's that's what I think. Uh, I don't know. Thoughts about that? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> so you took this scenario 
And by changing your perspective just a little bit and saying, okay, let's put this perspective in the terms of, am I honorable in keeping my commitments, in keeping the covenants that I made to love and support? And that way, every day that you are enduring, it's a win. It's like today I proved that I keep my word. Today I proved that I love you so much that I'm going to stick with you when it's hard. And I, and every day that, that turns a a long day because days can be long into a win. That is beautiful. And then it's like, I did today. I did today. You can write in a success journal today. I endured another day. I was successful in, in keeping my word. I was successful in supporting my wife. I was successful because I think the way that we view things is so important. Where if it feels like, okay, I failed today because I did not cure my wife. I failed today because I did not take all of her pain away. Then it's just demoralizing. But when it's switched into, I succeeded today in standing by her side, that changes everything. That's quite insightful. So thank you, Jim. Now you've talked about also, um, about the, in terms of, of, of faith. I mean, here we have experience and then we also have our, our faith experience where it's like, this stinks. And just, you know, I, our experiences are different and what you're going through and what I am, but, um, I have a beautiful grandson who was diagnosed with cancer at age five months. And one of my nieces, she, she said, as we were in communication, she said, and that's why I don't believe in God. And I thought, okay. And, and I don't, I'm not sure why she offered that, if that was supposed to be comfort or, or what the intent was, but you can totally see the rationale. It's if there was a God, then there wouldn't be suffering. And yeah. so when we're in these situations where we're experiencing suffering and trying to keep our, our hope and our faith afloat, what kinds of things do you, um, can you, advice can you give to that? Well, first of all, wow, I, that breaks my heart um, that you guys are going through that. And, and this was the response of a sweet little girl. Um, so, you know, one thing is, is uh, like God gave us a little boy. Right. And this is a, a, a crazy story that we don't have enough time to share it. But we, we have a son when it was impossible. It was a total gift from God. And he's now 11 years old. And I want so badly for him to learn um, a different narrative. I want him to know that because it's very easy for us in our like finite minds to say, well, if God's good, why does he allow bad? Like it, it, it's almost like an equation. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. But God doesn't work on that kind of economy. He doesn't work in, in that way. Um, I want Anderson to know that it's not about the circumstances here. It's about the relationship with him. That the suffering that I've experienced, like these last 15 years have been like just awful. I, like I wish I had better adjectives. It's just been terrible, but it's, it's caused me to confront the realities of like, okay, is there a God? Does he love me? What is he about? All these things. And I found myself being pushed closer to him, closer to hope. 
I think we walk a path, well, like one of two pathways, either like all of our pathways start at suffering, but do we walk a pathway of endurance and character, which lands us in a place of hope? Or do we walk a different pathway that's, uh, you know, suffering leads to bitterness, which leads to doubt, which leads to hopelessness. Like, I don't want to be a part of that pathway. Like I, all of that sounds bad. Like I, maybe it's naive of me to just land in this pathway of hope, but I really believe it and I'm not losing myself in the process. So I'm, I've, I've just seen God move in so many absurd ways. It's why it was important for me to write the book. Like when I say absurd ways, like absolutely unfathomable ways, he's done crazy things. So I'm going to choose to try to endure. I'm going to choose to let the suffering build my character. I'm going to choose to move closer to hope every single time. Now, I say every single time, but there's some days where maybe the win isn't so much of a win. I'm just kind of hanging on by like the the skin of my teeth, you know, like I'm hanging on with my, my nails and, you know, that's okay. You know, it really is. It's it. But if I recommit myself to to this path of 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 hope it's going to work out in the end i i just absolutely believe it and so that's what i want anderson to know and that's what i want him to believe that it's not about um, just good versus bad and you know like what god does and what god doesn't do it's about us choosing to move closer to him and this is an opportunity to do that and i love that you talked about what this does for you And it's interesting as you talk about, I have a choice to go this path or this path. And you said, I might be naive. And there are people who might say, well, you know, if you looked at the facts, but we say, here we are. What is the result of this choice? One is peace and hope. And one is maybe anger, frustration, helplessness, hopelessness, sadness, despair. And so I think when we're looking at, because we all want to be able to see, you know, seeing is believing, we want to see some kind of results to know that we're on the right path. And I think that you kind of nailed it on the head, that part of the, the, the seeing is really feeling is how mm-hmm. does this feel? Yeah. It feels, yeah. it feels okay. It feels yeah. like I have hope. I feel like I have peace. I feel like everything is going to be okay, even if I don't know what okay looks like. And I feel love and I feel loved. And, and so these kinds of things, that is our, our evidence of things unseen, so to speak, that the faith and that direction is the right way to go. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. I, I know we're close to the end here, but if I can just say one thing, I, I think that, you know, the, the world, people that don't know Jesus, um, they look at the people in the church and say, look how hypocritical they are. And I think this is at the core of, of that um, objection, of that criticism, that, you know, we all claim like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to go to heaven and I just love Jesus and it's going to be so great and we just claim this hope and joy and blah, blah, blah. But the moment suffering comes, we walk that back <laughs> and we take a different stance. We suddenly, uh, like, this is terrible. I like I'm ripping our hair out. You know, um, I, I, I just think that our consistency is going to mean everything to everyone. You know, if, if we want to get to heaven and we're so excited about it, 
the last time I checked, the way to heaven is either death or tribulation. You know, it's, it's suffering. So, like, if we could just stay somewhat consistent and not take ourselves so seriously, just find those moments of gratitude and celebration um, for what is real, it's going to be okay. Like, there's, <laughs> there's something better out there. I just firmly believe it. So, yeah, I might be naive. I really might be. But I'm, I'm actually, like, in, I, I'm enjoying stuff that I shouldn't enjoy. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm willing to take that. That is amazing to be able to have that kind of perspective as things are going through, that it's just, it's going to be okay. It really is. It's going to be okay. Yep. That's right. That's right. Linda, thank you so much for letting me share my story. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And not only sharing, but thank you for being and showing this example because it matters. And as we've talked today, you have a story of of suffering. And this is long suffering. And I have stories and everybody has stories. Our stories are different. And yet those feelings are very similar. And that makes it relatable. And when people say, Jim is going through something hard and he's doing okay. And I even love that you mentioned that not every day is okay. Because I think if we have that expectation, we're going to be disappointed in ourselves and we need to be compassionate because hard things are hard. And if we're not awesome 24 seven, that's okay. Tomorrow is another day. Um, But when they see you and see how well you're doing, I think it gives other people courage to be able to handle their challenges. So I really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. That means a lot. I I want to be a consistent person. I'm not as consistent as I want to be, but uh, it really is important for me. Well done. Well, thanks for visiting with me today, Jim. Yeah, thank you, Linda. So, So good to be with you. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by John C. Maxwell. He said, Disappointment is the gap that exists between expectation and reality. If you are experiencing an expectation gap or suffering, please know that you're not alone. And I invite you to search for those bits of sunlight that shine through the clouds. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org for free ebooks and other free resources to help increase happiness, build confidence and self esteem, strengthen relationships, manage stress, and calm feelings of depression and anxiety. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed A Journey Through Depression, or Amazon bestseller You Got This, an action plan to calm fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.